Welcome to Scots Radio 2021, and we're out of the aisle here at last. <laughs> I'm Frida Morrison, and on behalf of the team, Happy New Year. And this our New Year special is in with a new and near four time. New starts, new books, new up. And of course, new winners at the Trad Awards. Congratulations to them all and the Hands Up for Trad team, led by Simon Toomier, for organising the event. Online, of course, virtual this year, as is the new Celtic Connections Festival, coming up on the 15th of January to the 2nd of February. And we're celebrating three birthdays in this programme, Robert Burns, James Hogg and George Mackay-Brown. And I'm joined by David Mitchell, Steve Byrne, Richie Werner and our special guest, Cameron McNeish. And in keeping with the season, we start with a band that will be a welcome part of Celtic Connections. This is Blazing Fiddles, we Shetland Nights.
fiddles with Shetland knights, and we'll do I mind some great Shetland knights. So, to this programme, as usual, we'll soon start our Richie Werner is keeping us on the wiggly waves. Richie, are you there? Hi, <laughs> up here, are we then? <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine. No, we said our Happy New Year's. Aye. Did you tick in the bells this year? Oh, aye. Do you know what was really nice, actually? I did a, a wee sort of New Year's Day Kayleigh with the, the girls, so that was good fun. What a wee dance in the front oh, room. <laughs> fabulous, I love that. Well, and uh, as usual, this is going to be a busy programme. Food to the gunnels, as you say. But just let me check where I hear. Richie's here. Dave, Aye. you here? Hi, Happy New Year, Fidesz. Good oh, to hear for you. David, Happy New Year to you and Kate as well, aye. Right, Steve, you okay? I'm brah, Frida, thanks. Kanawa, yourself? Kanawa, niping and chavin, as they say. <laughs> right, as I mentioned, our programme guest is Cameron McNeish, renowned author, 21 books published, editor of the Great Outdoors magazine, presenter who are doing seven different outdoor television programmes, and I can say he's been my companion and co-presenter on many occasions on BBC Radio Scotland's Out the Doors programme. Cameron, are you there as we open Newton Moor? I'm here in the highlands of Scotland and a happy new year to all of you. Oh, happy hey. new year, Cameron. It's lovely to hear you on. So, uh, later in the programme, we'll be hearing about your, your new book, Come By The Hills, and I can say it's a classic. It's near your ordinary hill walker's guide to the Bonnie Glens. This is full of stories, philosophy even. Aldo Leopold comes into this. The introduction itself is full of wonderful phrases and descriptions written by renowned nature writer Robert McFarlane. Fass says, Above all, though, this book is a late-life love letter to the hills, sent from the glens. Isn't that a great phrase? <laughs> now, is this you, Cameron, coming to terms with the why we have to change and how we enjoy the, the great outdoors? I think it is, Frida. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm no longer a young buck running about the hills, and and, and, and you know, I've, in my 70s now, and I can't do what I used to do. So you have to adapt just a wee bit, and um, you know, I still get on the hills, but but right. I can't do. I, I look back at some of the books I've written in the past, and I think to myself, how on earth did I manage to do that in one day? I certainly can't do it, but we can adapt. Um, and what what I've kind of realised that it's something that Nan, the great Nan Shepherd wrote. Mm -hmm. And basically she said, in the great scheme of things, summits aren't that important. And when I go back and I think of all the wonderful days I've had on Scottish hills and mountains and, and mountains and you know throughout the world, my memory doesn't immediately go to touching a summit cairn. In fact, I can't remember very often touching a summit cairn. It's not the most important part of a day when you're out there. It's maybe getting onto a ridge that leads to the summit. Or it's maybe seeing a, a golden eagle or it's maybe finding some little plants. These are the kind of highlights that come mm -hmm. back in my memory. Um, right. So it's, it's kind of nice to get the opportunity to write a book that doesn't concentrate on the route to the summit and touching the summit. You know, That's a, a fairly recent phenomenon, that. And certainly mm -hmm. in Nan Shepherd's day, I think I'm right in saying there are only about 15 people who had climbed all the Munros in Scotland. Yeah. That's a very recent phenomenon, this whole Munro bagging thing. So I'm writing this book from the perspective of someone, as, as Robert says, in, in later years, um, looking at the hills and looking at what else the hills have to offer other than just summits, and they offer so much. I, I, I remember a wee line in the book saying, the shudder of wonder and awe. That's I it. think that, you know, that many of us, we can identify we, we are in meanderings in special wilderness places. Cameron, I'm looking forward to speaking more about your book, but in the meantime, 
This is in the, my favourites, and I can't see the yours as well. So this is for you, Cameron. This is Jim Reed singing Hamish Henderson's song, Freedom Come All Ye. Rock the wind in the clear day's dawn Blast the clutch, he'll start the hour of But there's more not a rock wind blowing Through the great glen of the world today It's a thought that would go to rotters Are the rocks that gangalas fresh and gay Talk the road and seek the loans Are there help lies the sport and Bonnie Collins merged the war when her braggarts cruisely cry. Now we wains frepid heed and clachen, more na ships sailing to the broomy law. Broken families and lands we've heard it, Scotland the brave, ye mere ne mere. Black and white into leather married Mark the vile barracks of the master's pair Wonderful. 
Jim Reed with Freedom Come All Ye by Hamish Henderson. Cameron, I mean, that just sends the hairs in the back of your neck standing up. It is. It? They're, they're bristling. And I, and I feel I've got all these goosebumps all over just li- listening. It's such a great song sung by such a wonderful singer. Oh, just... Steve... Uh, the the Ted Awards, the Hall of Fame. Jim was in there this year, wasn't he? Was, he was. I was delighted to to help uh, put some of that together. Some old archive footage and I had a Jim. He just sings the way he speaks, and it's it's half a brat to hear him again. It's just, and of course, Richie was. Uh, you were part of yeah. recording that that song. I, I was so lucky as a young loon. I actually, yeah, I, I I managed to capture that very performance. That was that was me that hit the goal wow, button. Wow, wow! So yeah. it was just amazing, amazing. To hear. Well, it's a oh, fitting start to, to the celebration that there's the beginning of a new year and maybe even a, a new world. Rest on to bringing in the new. Scottish Language Dictionaries is a publicly funded Scottish charity, funded by the Scottish Government, and recognised as the nation's authority on Scots, and it's been in existence for more than 90 years. And the publications in print online and as mobile applications provide a unique record of the language, history, culture and traditions. But no! On the birthday of the aforementioned Robert Burns, the 25th of January, they will be launching a new app, for schools in the shape of a new Scots dictionary. Now, Steve spoke to the chief executive, Rona Alcorn, and heard Meraboot, the new app. Right, well, the dictionary is a muckle beast, uh, even if it is more accessible through its online presence. But for kids uh, studying Scots at school, Um, or just encountering Scots in their day-to-day lives, um, they're not going to be looking up 22 volumes of uh, dictionary or rushing to find an internet connection so they could look up the the web. So we've produced a new app, a dictionary app. So this is a Scots dictionary for schools. So it's been tailored specifically for Scotland's youngsters. Those aged 8 to 18 primarily, um, and we've designed it to support them in the kind of Scots that they are likely to encounter in the classroom. So you've had a version of this app before, came out about, what, five, six years ago. What like was the take-up of that, and, and what's brought you to the idea of bringing out a new version? Um, there's been a really good take-up for the original one. Just counting up the, uh, the, the downloads, we're easily into five figures But it was our first attempt at an app and apps move really quickly these days. People's expectations of what it should be capable of doing evolves really quickly. So we wanted to keep this fresh. We also wanted to review the content and make it more relevant to the kind of Scots that's been experienced, for instance, in the SQA Awards. And we also just wanted to make it a little bit more user-friendly. So we've achieved, we think, both these things in the new version. It's great that you've tied it in with the things that the Bairns is actually studying because I think sometimes with resources, if they didn't match up, then it can be a difficult thing for Bairns to interpret, especially a, a language they're maybe not used to seeing written down. I think that's great. Not just not used to seeing written down, some, or sometimes they'll see it written down, but they didn't care how to say it. Aye. So what we've included as well for the more, let's say, uh, unfamiliar words, the more unfamiliar spellings, we've also included good audio clips to be actually be able to hear what it sounds like. Aye, that's great. I came from in working in skills that there's bairns that come from arts and perts, so it'll be braver for, for bairns that maybe doesn't hear a background in Scotland to be able to, to learn some of the Scots leading art. Absolutely. 
So, folk that wants to get ahead of this app, you say it comes out in Burns Nick, how can they get ahead of it? Alright, well, they can just go to either the Apple App Store or Google Play, search for Scots School Dictionary, and there it will be. The old one's still there just now, uh, but on the 25th January it'll switch over to the, the new versions. Um, there will also be links from the online dictionaries webpage, um, so you can find the links there as well. Excellent. Exciting times, right enough. Thanks very much for your time today, Rona. Thank you very much. Rona Algorn, Chief Executive of the Scottish Language Dictionaries. And congratulations to that team on this new publication. This is the Corries with the song that inspired the title O'Cameron McNeish's new book. This is Come by the Hills. of tomorrow can wait till this day is done Oh, come by the hills to the land where life is a song Sing where the birds fill the air with their joy all day long the trees sway in time and even the wind is in tune and the cares of tomorrow can wait till this day is done Oh, come by the hills to the land where legend remains Stories of old fill the hearth and may yet come again. Where our past it is lost, but our future is still to be won. And the cares of tomorrow can wait till this day is done.
by the hills to the land where fancy is free. Stand where the beat meets the sky and the logs meet the sea. When the rivers run clear and the bracken is gold in the sun. And the cares of tomorrow can wait till this day is done. Perfect. Beautiful. Beautiful. Lovely. The Corries Were Come by the Hills, the song that inspired the title of the new book written by my guest, the world-renowned expert on the great outdoors with what has been described as having an encyclopedic knowledge of Scotland, the walks, the glens, the islands, and a myriad of myths and legends. Welcome again, Cameron McNeish. Thank you, Frida. It's lovely to be here. Hi, did you enjoy our harmonies with that? We're all uh, trying to sing in harmony with it, that. You know, that's such a wonderful song, but the way the chorus sing it is just so oh. special. I really miss Roy Williamson, do you know that? Mm-hmm. What a voice. It was the chorus that kind of got me into folk music way back yeah. in the 60s, when they did these great big concerts and um, in, in great big venues around the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think they turned so many people onto folk music. Absolutely, uh, I've wonderful. said this many times because I, I too went to the, the big concerts and we forget how many folk were led into folk music through the quarries, you know. Huge numbers. Right, new, doing to, doing to the business. Now, you've also become a highly regarded voice in matters of land use and public access, a topic we have both spoken about on many occasions mm. and more recently about your concern about the misuse of the countryside. Have we reached any solutions yet, Cameron? I don't think we have. Do you know that? I don't think we have. And we, we hear lots of talks about um, uh, bylaws and bans and creating more rangers. And But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about education. I mm-hmm. think last year has been such an unusual year. And um, lots of people couldn't go abroad. They couldn't go to the places they normally go on holidays. So they were, you know, coming to the Scottish Highlands. And you know, these people have never really been educated in how you behave in wild places. And so I don't think all the blame can be put on them. So I think we're really needing to see from government level down a big education programme. I remember when I did a, a, a programme for BBC Scotland called In the Country many years ago, it's a kind mm-hmm. of environmental programme. I, I quite often used to go and interview the Keep Scotland Beautiful people. And I think we need another campaign like that again. Yeah. Um, you just, just how to behave in the countryside, what to do with your litter. And, uh, so I think there's so much to be done, um, really, before this summer comes along. Absolutely. And, of course, creating more places for, for folk that didn't want to maybe go into campsites but just want an overnight somewhere, just like they have in the, in the continent, I suppose. We've spoken about that as well. You know, this is absolutely right. I had somebody do a TV thing the other day with um, somebody in the Outer Hebrides and the chap from the Hebrides was saying, look, we love tourists, we love them to come here, but not too many of them because we don't have the infrastructure. 
And that's the problem that we have in the Highlands today. We don't have the infrastructure for all the, 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 the caravans and the motor caravans and the motor homes and, and everybody else that are coming. Um, and it's as though we've been kind of caught short this summer. And I think we have because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But I think there's, there's a lot of things happening in trying to create that infrastructure. The Scottish Government has actually put out quite a lot of money. I think it's about £11 million through the Green Recovery Programme. And that's going to councils to try and create better infrastructure for everybody. So my fingers are crossed. I'm always optimistic, Frida. And um, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get by. I'm sure well, we'll sort we'll it out. I believe that something will be sorted out. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, let us celebrate your new publication, as I'm sure many folk will be doing when they read your chapters. You take us on a, a journey, Cameron, you know, through the Scottish hills and the mountains, on your bike and your feet in the camper van. So paint the scene for us first in mere detail, a wee bit of mere detail. Talk us to far you're going. Well, we start off at the Scottish borders because I'm, I'm, I'm very, very fond of the Scottish borders and Dunfries and Galloway. They're wonderful areas full of, full of mystery. Mm-hmm. When I think about the Scottish borders, I think about what the great author H.V. Morton once wrote. And it kind of sums up what the, the, the borders mean to me, Frida. And he said, how can I describe the strange knowingness of the borders? It's uncanny watchfulness. It's queer trick of seeming still to listen and wait. I feel that invisible things are watching me. All the time. Out of the ferns, silently might rise the Queen of Elfland. Just as she came to Thomas of Eltingdon in the very country with 50 silver bells and nine hanging from her horse's mane. And you know, we've got so many great writers who come from the borders. And I know we're going to be talking a wee bit about James Hogg yep, later, later on, on. But, but there's so many others and so many stories about um, the, the great wizards, Michael Scott, the wizard. The wizard, um, Michael Scott, yes, he said, what a name. It's a rotten name for a wizard, isn't it? He sounds more like a bookie or something. <laughs> uh, apologies to anybody called Michael Scott who might be listening to this. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a kind of daft name. But uh, a better, he was also known at the time as Michael Mathematicus because uh-huh. he was a mathematician. And one of the great things about this man in the borders was it said that he was the inventor of Scottish whisky. Now, there's a thought. Um, and I think it's kind of that time when... They called it Aqua Vitae, uh, and, and it says that he became the father of Scottish whisky. And that's going back to James Hogg again. James Hogg wrote a, a, a lovely thing about about whisky, and this is what he said. He said, "If a body can just find out the exact proper proportion and quantity that ought to be drunk every day and keep to that, I verily throw that he might live forever without dying at all." <laughs> And that doctors and kit yards would go out of fashion. How about that? So I can tell. I can tell by the silence that Dave Mitchell is just itching to come into some of this conversation. I was, I was just sitting smiling about Michael Scott and the stories I used to get from oh. my grandmother, and, and and only Hogg could be as eloquent as that about a good dram. It's, uh, an old Highlander Ian said to me, the thing about whiskey is it makes you wheel when you're ill and it makes you ill when you're weak. <laughs> <laughs> I could vouch for that. Dave comes for doing the border, so he, he's, gonna, he's just itching to come in, but we'll hear Aye. a big blather about Hog later on. Aye. And of course you pay tribute to the wonderful characters that you've met, and the title of course is taken from the song by W. Gordon Smith, and that's one of your favourite songs. Come it it is, Aye. Free. 
W. Gordon Smith, and I think he wrote that in the 1960s, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people think it's a, tra- a traditional song. Of course, it isn't. But there's a couple of lines that really spoke to me when I was thinking about the titles for this book. Uh, I've, I basically got a publisher who wanted a trilogy of memoirs. And my first one was published in 2018, and I called it There's Always the Hills, because no matter what you know, how, how dark the day might seem, how, how black the future might seem. There's always the hills. You can go to the hills and get away from all of that. And this kind of come along quite nicely after that, particularly the lines in the song that says, all the cares of tomorrow can wait till this day is done. And that's, you know, it's, 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 you know go to a, be, come by the hills to a land where fancy is free. And I like that. It's got that wee element of peeking over horizons and, and, and exploring. So it, it kind of worked well for the title uh, of a book. But it's, it's just sheer enjoyment of being in the hills that comes across, you know, where fancy is free. And this book is full of special conversations with people for you've have inspired you, like Dick Bulhari, for we're best, best mate as well. I, Dick was a great mentor of mine, and, and, and I met Dick way back in the 70s, and um, eventually you know, moved into the same village. He, he lived just around the corner from me before he died a number of years ago. Uh, and Dick was just a wonderful down-to-earth man. He started his career uh, as, a, um, as, as a ranger in Torridon. And he said in, in those days he was working for the Nature Conservancy Council and he says he couldn't make any decisions about what should be done in the land. All these decisions were made by high hegians in London and that really used to annoy him. <laughs> so he used to do things himself, he would do wee, wee experiments and whatnot without all these people knowing. But he was just a lovely down-to-earth man who he knew you know, lots of business people, he knew royalty, he knew other keepers, he knew hill walkers, he had time for everybody. And it was wonderful to go out with Dick on the hill and he would suddenly say, come on then Cameron, show us your stuff, what's that plant called? And half the time I have, have no idea, but I knew that he would tell me um, eventually. So yes, it was, it was a wonder, he was a great character and, and I've written a book, uh, as, sorry, I've written a chapter in the book basically about Torridon because that was the area where um, well, Dick really loved living and, and working there, although he eventually moved to the Cairngorms. But Torridon was very much his, um, his spiritual home, if you like. Of course, you've got Glenetive and Glen Lyons, another particular favourite of yourselves. Special places, especially mm-hmm. Glen Lyon. Glen Lyon is so full of fascinating artefacts, like the, 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 the praying hands of Mary, oh, which is a kind of split stone. Oh, the praying hands, it's an amazing place, yeah. It's an incredible, and, and, and the wee kind of turf building that's known as Tyne and Bodach, which is the, the, the house of the old man, but it's kind of known as the, the home of the Calioch, the the, the Calioch that blesses the the cows and the agriculture and all the rest of it. So it's, it's, and every year somebody comes to that wee turf building and they put out some water-washed stones. And one is the Kadiach, one is the Bodach, the old man, and one is the daughter. And they put them out in springtime. They put them out um, to, to, to bless the, the, you know, the, the, the summer pastures. And then the same person comes back in the autumn and puts them back into the wee house for the winter. <laughs> and, and this has been happening... This has been happening for donkey's yep. years. That fascinates me, that wee place. Does, Aye, it? it's wonderful. Right, now, I'm going to do little bits of quotes, and I've asked you to do it some. You know, so that folk can just hear the, the beautiful language you use in this book. And I'll, I'll quote the wee bit first. 
uh, like Tommy Weir, you said, I've always considered this pool of the mountains as gravity for the soul. It offers us an anchor, a foundation from which to build a relationship that can stand us in good stead when tough times appear over the horizon. Mountains as gravity for the soul, Cameron. That's lovely stuff. It and is. The other, uh, another bit I wanted to read is the mountains and wildness settle peace in the soul. It's mountains and wildness. You know that wee bit? Have you got that Aye, wee bit? In front okay. Of you? Read that wee bit for me. Mountains and wildness settle peace in the soul. It's a wonderful phenomenon and it doesn't need any help. The sheer beauty of it. And our appreciation of that beauty is partly because, as the Harvard author and naturalist Edward O. Wilson once said, it's beyond human contrivance. Beyond human contrivance. So ma- man hasn't been mucking it up. Aye. Aye. You know, but there's more than just the appreciation of the hills and the mountains and the paths and the forest, more than just blending folklore in the college. In this book, as you, as you alluded to, there, there's, there's a lot of philosophy in there, you know. And you've got uh, Robert McFarlane, he's referring to the moderation of ambition. You've got the, uh, uh, you celebrate a version of Aldo Leopold's land ethic. What mm. is the land ethic? The land ethic is really how we should be looking after our land. And I think that's quite an important thing. Um, Aldo Leopold once said, and I, and I paraphrase here, we have to consider ourselves as a member of that community that we live in. And that community includes the rocks and the heather and the grasses and the wild animals and the birds. And if we consider ourselves as part of that community, then we'll look after it. If we don't consider ourselves as part of that community, then we'll tend to abuse it. And he's so right in that. So that forms the basis of his land ethic. Uh, And there was a wee spell where Dick Balhari and I sat down and we wrote out what should be Scotland's land ethic. And and, and we sent it off to the government, but never saw it again. (laughs) But but that's what happens. But um, we have to start in the beginning. We have to look at land ownership and land reform. Um, And I I think that's happening within the government at the moment, very slowly. But it's, but it's happening. And then from there, we can actually look at how we, we protect us. I find it quite, you know, quite amazing that we have two national parks in Scotland. Scotland, the home of the, 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 the great national park supporter, John Muir. And we've got two national parks, but neither of them are owned by the nation. They're both still in private hands. And I find that very, very upsetting. Mm-hmm. said the definition of wild land is that which gives a safe home to golden eagles. Where did that quote come from? That comes from Dick. That comes from Dick. Yeah, Dick Dick reckoned uh, a a land is truly wild if a golden eagle can live there, if a golden eagle can find the food to live there and raise a brood and all the rest of it. Uh, He says, and that that would suggest that the land is wild. The big problem we have in Scotland is a lot of people still talk about wilderness, and I did myself for a long time till I realised we don't, we don't have any wilderness in Scotland. Wilderness is a place where there's no sign of man, but the signs of man all around the highlands and the islands and the borders. And you, and you, you see, you go down any glen and you'll find the, you know, the, the old gable ends still standing mm-hmm. and the, 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 you know, the, the, the signs of the old agriculture. Scotland has never been completely empty. These are not empty lands, as some proclaim. Could you read that wee bit for me, Cameron? We'll finish off here because I'm going to come back to you again and to speak about the Ettrick Shepherd later on and a place where you find very, very dear to your heart, of course, in the borders, right? These are not empty lands. These are not empty lands, as some proclaim. 
or as I saw it described recently on social media, a blank canvas. But areas that still exhibit the hand of man almost everywhere, traces of the ancient Brunrig system of agriculture, the faint lines of the lazy beds on a hillside, the old stalkers' paths and the military roads, the gables and dry stone walls of old homes and villages and townships that may now be uninhabited, but which are still alive to the whispers and the memories of time not so long past. The whispers and memories of times not so long past. I love it. Well, uh, Cam, as I said, I've so enjoyed reading this book and it's got layers upon layers. Thank you, thank you. But, My pleasure. Uh, we'll hear mere confabs in a wee while, but we'll leave it there just now because uh, we're going to be speaking about your, your love of the, the borders and, uh, of course, James Hogg and a wee minty. No, I've chosen an app song for you again. An app song, Cameron. This is Doogie McLean oh, with his song... Caledonia. Ah. I don't know if you can see the changes that have come over me in these last few days. I've been afraid that I might drift away. So I've been telling old stories, singing songs that make me think about where I came from. That's the reason why I seem so far away today Let me tell you that I love you That I think about you all the time Caledonia, you're calling me And now I'm going home But if I should become a stranger Know that it would make me more than sad Caledonia's been everything I've ever had I have moved and have kept on moving Proved the points that I needed proving Lost the friends that I needed losing Found others on the way I have kissed the ladies and left them crying Stolen dreams, yes there's no denying I have travelled hard sometimes with conscience flying Somewhere with the wind Let me tell you that I love you That I think about you all the time Caledonia, you're calling me Now I'm going home For if I should become a stranger You know that it would make me more than sad Caledonia's been everything I've ever Forest choir, the flames that couldn't get any higher. 
Well, they've withered now, they've gone But I'm steady thinking, my way is clear And I know what I will do tomorrow When my hands have shaken and the kisses flowed Well, I will disappear Let me tell you that I love you But I think about you all the time Caledonia, you're calling me And now I'm going home For if I should become a stranger Know that it would make me more than sad Caledonia's been everything I've ever McLean with Caledonia and a happy new year to the McLean family and the special concerts they've been transmitting to the world the world needs mere music and it needs mere Oyon Davy Mitchell and his unique observations as he rummels through his umpteen books in his collection now this time he's unfurled another important anniversary he's in the company of Orkney writer George Mackay Brown but I'll let the man himself explain enter the zone Mr David Mitchell of that ilk Aye, George Mackay Brown, eh, Frida, that goes back, way back to my teenage years. But before I tell you about him, I just connected with that. I just got a wee present for Santa, and it was connected with George Mackay Brown. It's a book of Christmas stories, and they're all wee gems, they really are. They were originally published in the Glasgow Herald in the tablet newspaper, kind of once a year, over a long number of years, and that's the first time they've all been put together and put into the end book. Again, they're beautifully crafted, thought-provoking. Some of them are more mysterious and deep than others. Others are joyful and filled with hope. But they hate, like all of George's writing, they have a kind of timeless quality, an ability to mark you feel as though you're in on another dimension. A bit like going to the hills. And I was awful fond of two stories in this wee book. The end of them was called A Box of Fish. It's got a grand twist at the end, and it shocks you. And another end was called Mrs. Tate and Tommy and the Carol Singers. And the one end just teaches you that you shouldn't tuck things at face value. And that just took me back. I thought, this, what else can I mind about George Mackay Brown? And I went away poking about the bookshelves, and I come across... An Orkney Tapestry. That really was the oh, book that kind of made his name. Yeah, I it's love a that lovely one. book, God. And here I looked in it, and there's a bit about the daft days back in the 1950s, <laughs> and about Hogmanay and all that time. And here Brown says, Yule is the festival of innocence. Mm. A new year, seven days later, is the festival of experience that measures time and hope and the dread of everything. And he goes on to talk about young men gathering together on Hogmanay and 
And one of them is Yin Pear Fella, he's dedicated to be the fool. Somebody they call the Cairn Horse, a beast of burden, the scapegoat. And he, he's supposed to represent the year. Pear Fella, he gets done and thumped and cursed and blessed <laughs> all night. But for his pains, and Brun records, he gets the biggest share of all the food and the drink. <laughs> Michty, when you read that, there was some gallivanting going around, trailing around neighbours and crofts and singing and acting <laughs> a goat and spreading joy and impudence. Oh, what capers they were. And I just thought to myself, well, I wonder if that's going to be going on in the white nooks and crannies at Hogmanay these days. Yeah. And I thought, I'm sitting thinking about this, and I just, I thought, what can I mind about Hogmanay? And I hate mine, I hate mine a folk coming well on Pakul and a tin of shortbread, or a bit of Blackburn, or a dram if you were lucky. Mm. And I was a bairn, and if they folk were smear, you can they had barley sugar, or better still, you know, they muckle big gobstoppers. <laughs> the, the kind that your mother tell you you weren't a hay because they were bad for your teeth. You can, but it doesn't matter what you read in the coming weeks. Get a hoddier short story or two, or you know, other Bruins books like Vinland. I just finished reading that. It was wonderful. This year, 2021, 100 years since the birth of George Mackay Brown. Mm -hmm. And I he need it that will be coming back to hear another look at his life and his works in the next few months Wonderful. between New and Carl Mass and Huntigauk and Beltane. Ah, I tell you, I, I, I fear enjoyed that. I really did. David, thank you. You give an amazing amount of information every time. And... Uh, can you give some information about that book you got as a present? Uh, it's, 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 called, it's called Christmas Stories by George Mackay Brown. It's edited by William Peterson and published by Galileo Press. And it's available in all good bookstores and online for under 15 quid. Oh, great. great. Right. This is Sheena Wellington singing a song from the pen of Borders poet whose 250th anniversary we are in the midst of celebrating. This is The Bonnie Moore Hen, written by James Hogg. My Bonnie Moore Hen, my Bonnie Moore Hen, It's up in the grey hill and down in the glen. It's when ye gang bought the hoose, when ye gang pen. I drink a health to my bonnie moor hen. My bonnie moor hen has gain o'er the main, and it will be summer ere she come again. But when she comes back again, some folk will ken. Oh, joy be we, my bonnie moor hen. My bonnie moor hen has feathers in you. She's all fine colours, but none of them's blue. She's red and she's white and she's green and she's grey. My bonnie moor hen, come hither away. Come up, be glen dewy, and doon be glen dee, and roon be 
in Cleven and hither to me. For Ronald and Donald are out on the fen to break the wing of my bonny moorhen. My bonny moorhen has gain o'er the main, and it will be summer ere she comes again. But when she comes back again, some folk will ken. Oh, joy be we, my bonny moorhen. Isn't that just wow. beautiful? What a great song. What a great song, what a great singer. Clarity, Sheena. Oh. Sheena Wellington with the song The Bonnie Moorhen, written by the 18th century borders poet, story, writer and farmer James Hogg, Will Kent as the Ettrick Shepherd. It's Neil only Robert Burns' birthday, or George Mackay Brown's birthday, but as I said earlier, we've just passed James Hogg's 250th anniversary. Born 1770 at Ettrick Hall in the Yarrow Valley. Born 11 years after Burns, so near that far apart in years. And Steve, you've been looking into his life a bit more. Poet storyteller, as I said, he was a farmer, maybe mm. near Goodine, but he was fit with an agricultural improver. That was a big part of rural life then. He met Wordsworth, influenced by Robert Burns and Walter Scott, seen him under his wing. Steve, over to you, tell us more. Well, the bit that interested me most about James Hogg is a thing called the Jacobite Relics, which folks maybe not heard of that much. Uh, and amongst us, other writings, he's better kent for them. But if you grew up listening to the Corries, you'll come across a wheen of James Hogg songs. Uh, the likes of The Hawks of Cromdale, The Chevalier's Muster Roll, Come Here for France, all that kind of thing. He was a songwriter and a poet, and, and he was a collector as well. Like many of his contemporaries, like uh, Burns and Scott, they were all collecting songs for the tradition as well, and, and newer research projects new, including Enoch Stirling that Sheena Wellington was involved in with, with Kirstine McHugh and others, um, has looked at some of the sources for the songs as comfy, and that's been a, a wee bit of a different slant to how folk un- understand folk like James Hogg, and suffered maybe a wee bit under the shadow of the likes of Walter Scott, because they were kind of in the same territory, both literally and uh, you know metaphorically in terms of the, the songs and the material they were, they were dealing with, but... It's, I was looking in advance of the day and at the Jacobite Relics and it's amazing what a size of collection it was. It was originally commissioned by the Highland Society in London in 1817 and it really wasn't considered part of his main works for a long time but it's, uh, there's been major editions of that by Edinburgh University and Murray Pittock and it was in 12 volumes originally in 1819 and then again in 1821 so kind of the, the tail end of Walter Scott's life and as I say there's a research project at Stirling Uni uh, brought to a hill recording with Sheena and, and Kirsty McHugh and others singing uh, in 2007 of course Valentina Bold has been involved in a lot of the work uh, recently in mm-hmm. the celebrating his 250th anniversary so I'm inspired to get one here, um, Mary I look into the, the, the songs uh, of James Hogg and in particular which is actually he puts some of the songs of Adam Skirvin, uh, the man that wrote Johnny Cope in there and in of them gangs like this The Chevalier being void of fear did march up Bursal Brayman through Trenent, er he did stent as fast as he could gay man. Mm. So, if you drive into that's Trenent through the, the west side, you'll see a sign that says Bursley Bray, and that's the place in the song. Great. Man, his cousin lives in Bursley Bray. Yeah. There you go. 
You're on this cousin, but well, yes. Aye. Thank you for that contribution, Aye. Richie. Is her, but, is her uh, name Philomena Cope? <laughs> before I bring in, before I bring in uh, Carmen again, David, uh, you've got great affections for the the land of James Hogg, of course. Oh, I, James Hogg was a big part of my life because I drove up over the Greymere's Tail and along past St Mary's Loch to visit my grandmother on weekend after weekend as a young man. And my dad was very fond of that. Ayrton, you know, uh, you know the first things he taught me on in the car in the days was a thing called A Boy's Song, which was written by James Hogg. And it's written in English, but it's just really beautiful. I'm not going to gee at all, but it just says, where the pools are deep and bright and the grey trout lies asleep, up the river and over the lee, that's the way for Billy and me. Where the blackbird sings the latest and the hawthorn blooms the sweetest, where the nestlings chirp and flee, that's the way for Billy and me. Great. And the poem goes on to talk about hazel and hawthorn and bees. There's another five, or five verses. And I wonder, if I was Billy, was he a, was he a young loon like himself or was he a sheepdog? Mm. I reckon he was the dog myself. But, you know, hogs often forgotten because the body of work that he produced is enormous. It's poems, it's songs, right. it's, it's novels. He even wrote plays. It, it's so wonderful to see a bit of a renaissance. And he, he did kind of walk a wee bit in Walter Scott's kind of shadow. I have a notion what he was kind of a wee bit envious of James in some roads. Mm -hmm. But did, was it you or was it Steve that told me that he, he actually wrote something about uh, a comet? I No, he wrote a poem about Haley's Comet. I oh. uh, haven't seen it in 1811. It, it, it's got the poem itself is called Pilgrims of the Sun and there's a reference to a comet in that. The poem was published in 1814, I think, mm -hmm. um, and Haley's Comet appeared in 1811, so he must have seen it. I, I was over again, Dan. He went to bide and stay with the Wordsworths at Rydale Mount mm -hmm. after he'd taken the Wordsworth to come and visit his father's Scottish house and stuff. And I, I just found a lovely wee reference to um, Wordsworth's sister, who was a, a wonderful writer, and James says that her conversation was a great mental treat. What a compliment. <laughs> Isn't that nice? That's nice. You see, that's what folk get for this programme on many occasions, <laughs> a great mental treat. But um, Cameron, can I Aye. bring you in here? Because Aye. you have a particular fondness for the borders and especially uh, James Hogg as well. I, I do. And what David was saying there about the Wordsworths, it seems to be that Wordsworth wasn't terribly kind to James Hogg because he he wrote a nice wee piece when James Hogg died and he said, The mighty minstrel breathes no longer, mid mouldering ruins low he lies, and death upon the braes of Yarrow has closed the shepherd poet's eyes. But he wrote some notes after that and he said, Hogg was undoubtedly a man of original genius, but of coarse manners and low and offensive opinions. Oh. And I, d I didn't think I was very nice. Well, there's, a, there's, a no, there's an awful good tale about an encounter with um, Hogg and Walter Scott and the Queen of the Dinner Party in Edinburgh. 
can you know they, they fancy places where they'd be a lot of lace about and what have you and he sat down and put his tackety bits on the couch and then he, and, 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 and then he think he'd be getting money favours for that no, no. you know this for, for all Wordsworth's fame I can't take a liking to the man at all I, I heard a story once that when um, Sir Walter Scott went to visit the Wordsworths and the Wordsworths were apparently very straight laced and they was, they'd go to their bed at 8 o'clock at night and Scott used to climb out the windy <laughs> To go down to, to to go to the local tavern. <laughs> and what, is that that story? what is it they say? Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> but David, David, you you'll you'll can Tibby Shields in. Oh, aye, aye, aye. And of course, that's it's said that Scott and and Hogg used to meet there fairly often. And I was going for a walk down there with my, my wife once, and I was telling her about Tibby Shields in. I think it's actually closed down now, which is quite sad. There used to be a lovely wee snug in there. Um, and I was telling her about uh, the Ettrick the, the Shepherd and he used to meet Sir Walter Scott, his, his patron, in that wee snug. And it was one of those days we were, we were set out without... Um, without a destination really and we kind of wandered up a wee track called the Captain's Road and then le- left it and went up a wee and a curious wee dumpy hill called the Wisp W-I-S-P and as we're climbing up this we're going up a, a bit of a rig called the, the Altreve Rig and I looked down to my side and there down in the valley below me was a, a wee tiny farm uh, and it was just surrounded by big hills and it looked a kind of lonely wee place and um, I said to my wife look at that I wonder if anybody still farms that and it was only later when we get down that that farm was actually the old tree farm where Hogg spent his final years before dying in November 1830 so it was a kind of serendipity uh, at work there Um, and I think there's you know there's a lot of that to me James Hogg was almost a prophet he was a seer. And his great book, of course, The Confession of a Justified Sinner, <laughs> it was a psychological thriller way ahead of its time. Yep. It was a remarkable book. I, I, I love, personally, the Brownie of Wadsbeck. Um, I, I just think it's great. And it, it, it just takes you away to another place and another time. He, For me, J- James Hogg really demands to be much better known and much better understood. Mm. I read something just recently that Byron was a big fan of, mm. fan of James Hogg as well. Yeah. And I mean, he, he, I think he spent some time in London. I mean, he, he, his, his life was full of checks and balances. And I, I think now it's only right that he, he comes to the fore and that we understand him much better. I, I think I mentioned earlier on about H.V. Morton and that kind of watchfulness in the borders. And, and to me, James Hogg encapsulates that. And of course, his grandfather was well known. He was, he was called Willow Thorpe, and he was reputed to be the last man to actually converse with the fairies. Maybe a wee bit of that in James Hogg too. I, I think there was that sense of romance and contact with the land. That, to me, that's the parallel he had with Burns. Absolutely. V- very deeply. You know, he, he was deeply connected with the land and inspired from it. And he had a desire for self-improvement. Mm-hmm. And he, he came from a lowly background. And, you know, maybe he came up across that class barrier a little bit. Right. right. Can I bring Stephen here then? Because I was fascinated with them telling me about a new course that gets started, Steve, on environmental writing. Is that the correct title? Uh, it's great Scottish nature writing, I actually. And uh, hi, and I'm doing it at our places in Germany, just online, of course. I'm not flying every, every Tuesday. No. 
So, but this is a, of course, there's a Scottish Studies Department uh, run by a professor called Sigrid Rivert. She maybe I maybe mentioned her before uh, a few years back. Mm-hmm. I was doing uh, the Minstrelsey, Walter right, Scott's yeah. Minstrelsey, the Scottish Border CD, and we've played some tracks on the program. Uh, so she's involved in, in wider Scottish literature uh, kind of teaching and sick, sick like. So doing this nature writing course the new and looking at a hill we know the folk that's been mentioned today, especially Nan Shepherd and and relationships to the land. We're speaking about mm-hmm. current. Uh, movements the new about the grouse moors and the mountain here and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. that's going on and uh, we've had Malachi Talek speaking about things we're looking at Kathleen Jamie's new collection Antlers of Water and most recently we had actually Corrine Pulbert on my old uh, chum for Malinky I her work today with the geese and wind resistance and speaking about Fala Moor and sites of special scientific interest in Athens. So. I don't know kind of this because of lockdown or whatever, but you can sense there's a growing awareness and a oh. growing interest in the outdoors and, uh, and uh, Massively. nature and just the natural history. It's, it's beginning to grow and grow and we're becoming aware of just for the special place Scotland is and Aye. what we have here is, is just full of treasures. Mm-hmm. And there's a fine balance to be struck as well because Speaking to Karina a wee bit about it, when you start kind of bringing these these special places to folks' attention, it kind of has a potential impact on the landscape as well. Then folk turn up and go, look at it. Mm-hmm. It's like that programme that uh, Cameron was mentioning when the boy was uh, up on Sky. It was uh, Romesh Ranganathan, the comedian, who I was That's seeing right. Donald McSween, and I thought it was a brilliant programme. You know, the best I've ever seen, kind of going through the, the Highlands mm-hmm. with a good dose of humour. But he's risked, you know, folk getting up to the old man of store, and you turn the camera around, and there was. 20, 30 folk ahead of them, Ken. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a wee bit of a balance yeah. to be struck about about how we, we look after the land in that sense. And mm-hmm. Some things are best left alone, Steve. Right, I'm going to put a wee line under that just now because uh, we've got the poetry to think about as well for Dave and Aminti. But I feel the need for another song. Thank you, Abdi, for this because it's just been a, a lovely session and we'll learn. An awful lot more about James Hogg. Every time we speak about him, somebody comes up with another factor, so another figure, and it's 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 fascinating. Just and maybe it's even fascinating for fit with Dunicky and about him. Mm-hmm. And the more you read, the more you want to read about this remarkable man, James Hogg, the Ettrick Shepherd. And thanks to Dr. Valentina Bold for her shepherding and sharing her knowledge and research with us. Much appreciated. But it is to the poet that was born 11 years earlier that I return as we go for it into the season when the hell world celebrates the poetry and song of Robert Burns. This is Robin Stapleton for her album The Songs of Robert Burns. This is My Love is Like a Red, Red Rose. Oh, my love is like a red, red rose That's newly sprung in June my love is like the melody that sweetly played in tune As fairer thou, my bonny lass, say deep in the Fear thee, my only love, 
Cameron, that's your song again. What a lovely voice that lassie has. That, that lassie has a wonderful voice. She has Gorgeous. that. Well, big congratulations to Robin for was singing with Hannah Rarity, Claire Hastings and Katrina Watt in this year's Trad Awards. It was a highlight, Cameron. Sensational. Absolutely sensational. I just loved hearing that. And I hope they, I hope they do more together because it's just it was the highlight of the programme. It was certainly a highlight. I think they will. I mean, you couldn't get better than that. No. And speaking about roses, and just to finish off the special New Year episode, I turn to the man that Ken's about roses, reader otherwise, Dave has money. Well, Ken is a past curator at the Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh and chair of the Open Garden Scheme. And the weather plays an important part in the life of gardeners. And you've been looking into the works of other poets, Dave, and especially their, their winter poems. For well, fun. I, you know, I just these dark nights, you've got to find something to hear a hook about and keep you out of mischief. <laughs> and uh, old friends in the bookcase and long forgotten friends, and then a wee new things, I know, you know, I had any time to tell you all things that are fun. You see it made as a party when you can just speak to anybody for two or three minutes and you get on to the next. And, you know, we, we all keep thinking about these things and Burns and Hogg, I mean, Hogg we were talking about earlier, there's a wonderful publication of his called The Shepherd's Calendar, and, you know, it, it describes snowstorms from basically 1700 right through to the almost 1800, and in some of them, you know, 20,000 sheep died in, you know, 16 weeks, and in particular, again, he talks about, you know, 13 days and nights where the snow never stopped falling, it never stopped, never abated. Again, Burns, he wrote a lot about nature, as you know, and there's a poem, I'm not so sure about the title of it, Winter, a dirge. Oh, I love winter, you know, the shapes of the trees and all that come out and you see things at that time of year you didn't see anywhere else, but the first two or three lines of that, I think I'll strike a chord with a lot of folk. Winter, a dirge, the wintry west extends his blast, the hail and rain does blow, or the stormy north's north sends driving forth the blinding sneak and snow. <laughs> you know, it just, he can, just takes you straight on to another poem that he wrote, Up an early morning, call blows the wind from east to west, the drift is driving sailly, say loud and shrill, I hear the blast, I'm sure it's winter fairly. <laughs> Up in the morning's no for me. Up in the morning early when the hills are covered with snow. I just want to go back under my downy oh, when, I, when I read that. <laughs> I sympathise with that. We're meant to be getting out in the indoors. <laughs> exactly. And then I thought, wait a minute, it's not all about Burns and Hogg. What else is there? And then I come across a wee poem called Winter by W.D. Cocker. And it just goes just like this. When the hearst is our Elkashire and the cayenne foddered in the byre, when cold rife bodies seek the fire, and the snell winds blow. Then bairnies get their heart's desire. Doon comes the snow. The rest of the poems about herds and ploughmen, ewes oh, and lambings. I, I love that. And there was another, you know, had about Helen B. Cruikshank. 
which it's awful nice. It's called Witch Hazel, but you know, I, I, I'll leave that the new. Well, because I wanted to finish the whole program with that point. You read that point to me the other day, and it was just so bonny. I thought, right, we'll finish the program with that, Ian for Helen B. Crookshank. So we'll look forward to that in a minute. Cameron was talking about his love of the borders and Galloway and that. There's a lovely poet for Galloway called Dorothy Margaret Pollen, and it's called A Song of Winter. Come sing me a song of winter of storms and windy skies and dead leaves dancing, swirling where the woodland path lies. Oh, sing of frosty mornings. It's a beautiful work. It just has that sort of lilt of the Galloway Hills as they roll and it finishes with a gallop on a horse in a, in, in a frosty morning. And the final buddy I didn't want to forget, Frida, a fella called William Souter for Perth. And unlike Burns and Hogg, he, he was not able to get out in the countryside later in life due to ill health. But he wrote ten poems about winter, and he was especially famed for his wee epigrams. Kind of, they're a wee bit like Japanese tanka or haiku. It's just called Wintry Day. Wintry Day, bending beneath the bird which flutters in the hedge. The branch still bears its frozen fringe of snow. Brr, oh. I can feel it. That's lovely. <laughs> you gave me a flag there. Oh. <laughs> My hands are freezing. Flag it up, flag it, Steve. <laughs> well, every day, oh yeah, in the next week or two, man, in between now and you know, end of February, get out in a boot in the winter, wrap up wheel, breathe the fresh air, see the trees and worship the landscape. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Mitchell. I'll see you into that. <laughs> okay. A pleasure as usual to hear you and you make us think and you'll be finishing, as I say, with, with uh, Helen B. Crookshank's poem, The Witch Hazel. It's a beauty. But uh, no, it's time to think on saying those cheery boys. My thanks to your special guest, the one and only Cameron McNeish. He's your back. Cameron, we haven't been back to you, have we? So will you come back? It's been a joy. It's been an absolute joy. And what a great way to start the new year, eh? Oh, Fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Blethers with folk. And Come By The Hills, your new book, is published by Sandstone Press and is available from all good bookshops or directly from www.sandstonepress.com forward slash books forward slash Come By The Hills. And it's a cracker of a book. Absolutely. I loved it. No, and we didn't even mark to do the dishes. You remember the last time we presented a programme together here, actually, in this, in this house? Uh, it, we were hosting a Christmas party for Out of Doors, me and Cameron. That was a and queen was, of years ago. A queen of years ago. Queen of queen of queen. And the snow was outside, and it wasn't a, a heated steading at that time. This is an old steading, an old stable. <laughs> and, of course, there's big holes in, in the roof and everything. And there heaps of folk inside, about 40 folk inside just here. And we had to blether to the man after the programme. Abdi was in fine fettle. And then I the went him. And me and Cameron ended up doing the dishes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It happen to Jackie Bird, did it, Cameron? I mean, no, he never. He didn't do the blooming dishes. <laughs> so, we said, so we finished the programme like that, just... Uh, cut, cutting away to me and Cameron in the sink. Never have a Jackie Bird. Never, never, never come and know that program with you again. Anyway, thank you for coming back. And it's been a pleasure here. And please come back and join us. I'll, I'll definitely do that. And I'm really thankful I don't have any dishes to do now. <laughs> <laughs> so, on behalf of the Scotch Radio team, David Mitchell, Steve Byrne, 
Richie Werner and Andrew Davidson fires Dean Betts a hint the scenes near the dishes and I'll say <laughs> the partner team as well is Cameron McNeish. We finish with that composer that won the album of the year at the recent Trad Awards. The album was called The Woods and it was by Hamish Napier and this is a track for that album called The Muckle Beasts. And as I mentioned earlier, Dave Mitchell is going to finish with a poem from Helen B. Cruikshank called The Witch Hazel. So, here we go. Are you ready, lads? Fairs are. Of hopes and cheers who are the years. Here's to the new year. May the wind I be at your back and your tackets never roost. Are you ready, lads? Glasses at the ready. One, two, three. Happy, Happy, new, Happy year. new Year! Happy New Year! Witch Hazel by Helen B. Cruikshank. I ken the Queen of Candlemas among the snow she stands. Bare arms and cold feet and cannels in her hands. I ken the Queen of Candlemas, she doesn't mind the snow. She's the Queen of Witchery and burns the cold awa. I ken the Queen of Candlemas, free far Cathay she comes to deck herself with golden flowers tied up with silken thrums. Mm-hmm.